Hey, this is Lee Snow, the preacher for the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ here in Columbus, Georgia. And you have found our podcast. We hope that this message inspires you, that it equips you, and that it builds your faith in Jesus Christ like never before. If you have any questions or you want to tell us your story, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at any time. We are here for you. We're here for each other. Most importantly, we're here for the Lord. That's where we'll be again today. We um, trying to, to match our Bible classes with our with our worship service um, studies. So um, hopefully you were able to be here for uh, this morning's Bible class and able to study through the book. We're going to focus primarily on the end of the chapter um, this morning. But before we get there, um, let's do a little bit of back history on the book of Acts before we get to Acts chapter 2, okay? So, all the way back, creation of the world, God sets uh, one law, at least one law that we know, and that is that you're supposed to eat of the, every tree of the garden except for a single tree that he placed in the middle of the garden. Then, of course, Adam and Eve uh, do eat that tree, and they are kicked out of the garden. They're um, clothed with the skins of the animals that are around them. And then starts the process of the patriarchal period where God is teaching mankind little bits about how they are going to worship him now that they are out of the garden. Then uh, about a few hundred years later, a man by the name of Moses is called and he is uh, called to go back to Egypt to get the people out to, to do so forth, uh, to, to, to go back, get them out, give them a law and so forth. They do that. And they start wandering in the wilderness. They wander for a little while. They're sent into the land of Canaan. Of course, the book of Joshua, they take over the land of Canaan. Judges, of so, just fast forwarding very quickly through the history. Then the kings are set in place. And Saul is the first king. And then David and then Solomon. And, and then, then everything really kind of breaks up and, and destroys itself. Like God told them they, were, they was going to. But there's this people of Israel. They're, throughout the time of Moses, really at the time of Moses, is when they really become a, a cohesive group when they leave Egypt. And now they're, they're in the wilderness together. And there's uh, some estimates say somewhere around four to five million of them at times. And now they're a cohesive group. But then when they get into Canaan and now the, the kings are established and so forth, and then... They, they break up after Solomon, and then it really becomes two groups of people. You have, you have Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and they're supposed to be united, but they're not. And, and so Israel in the north is taken into captivity by Assyria because of their sins. And God essentially says, Judah, if you will keep it up, if you will remain faithful, then you'll be able to stay in the land that, that I gave to your fathers. But, of course, they don't. And so by the time Babylon is on the scene, Babylon is sent in to by God, providentially, to take over the land of Judah. And they're taken into captivity. And they spend way too long in captivity. But they have to learn from their sins. They have to learn from the problems that they've caused themselves. And so God leaves them there. Eventually Persia comes on the scene and King Cyrus sends a group back. And then you have the books of of Nehemiah and so forth where the city is rebuilt. and, And then once they get back into the city, that's about the the end of the Old Testament. Once they rebuild the city and a couple 
a couple of the Old Testament prophets come on and they, they start teaching and preaching and they basically say that everything's going to be okay as long as you remain faithful to God. And there's going to come a time when someone's going to come. So then God is silent for 400 years or thereabout. And isn't starting to speak again to people until a man is told that his son is going to get the way ready for the Lord. And he laughs, he jokes, he says, this is impossible, this is not going to happen. And so he's struck dumb. He, he can't talk for nine months while his son is, is um, on his way. And I'm sure uh, that Elizabeth didn't mind that much. Uh, but anyways, so Zacharias is, is struck dumb for nine months. And finally, uh, John the Baptist is born. He, he grows up into a man and he, he starts preaching and teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. That it's going to come very quickly. And then it comes to find out that, that it's his cousin that the, the people have been waiting for all this time. The nation of Israel is established and then it breaks apart and then it is reunited back into the land. And then they're waiting. And finally Jesus starts his ministry around about John chapter 2 um, at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. In the northern part of the area. Well... He ministers for around about three years or so, and he's the Christ, and he upsets the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Zealots and the Essenes. He pretty much makes everybody mad that he possibly can make mad, and so they crucify him. And so Acts chapter 2 is about 50 days later, because, see, those, the Israelites had this, this teaching that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, that three times a year... All of the people of Israel was supposed to be gathered into the place that God would tell them. Presumably, God had told them that where the temple is, that's where you'll meet. And so, Jesus is crucified, and then the Feast of Weeks happens, or the Pentecost happens. And Fifty days of this feast, and people are coming into Jerusalem, and they're, they're pouring in. But there's still relatively few followers of Jesus. Well then, on the day of Pentecost, on the final day of the feast, right before everyone is fixing to go home and, and, and the, 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 the triumphant you know, feast of weeks has occurred, the disciples are in the upper room and they're praying because they're looking at the history that we just covered and saying, we thought that Jesus was supposed to be the end of this. But now he's killed, and one of us has committed suicide, and we don't really know what's going on. And now he comes back and says that we're supposed to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, and we don't even know what we're supposed to say. And now he's gone. He, he was killed, but he resurrected, and he stuck around for about 50 days. And now he's back in heaven, and we, we're all alone. So, the end of Acts chapter 1, they pray... They cast lots, and God providentially chooses Matthias to take the place of Judas. So, that's what happens. Now, in Acts chapter 2, they're back in that upper room. They're praying. They're, they're, they're focusing. They're trying to wait for the Spirit because Jesus said that the Spirit was going to come. And So, you, you can imagine the, the trepidation that they have in this time. Well, then the Holy Spirit does come. And they have this ability to speak in tongues, languages that they've never learned They've never even heard before. And so they're preaching out 
on the front lawn, as it were, of the temple, on the temple mount. They go to where everyone is on the day of Pentecost because obviously someone needs to hear about what's happening. And so they start preaching, and they're preaching in all these different tongues. This is the beginning of chapter 2. And then Peter says what we read at our scripture reading before worship service. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by signs and miracles and wonders in your own sight, the one that you know, God has made this Jesus, Lord and Christ, and you murdered him. And so then in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they, he ends the sermon and they say, okay, what do we need to do? What should we do about this? Because we've been convicted of the fact that we have murdered Jesus Christ. And he says, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, or unto the remission of sins. Meaning that if you don't repent of your sins, if you don't change your mind and, and accept the fact that you have murdered the Christ, and if you don't submit to baptism in obedience to the gospel then you cannot enter into, the word for is into, you can't enter into the remission of sins. Then, look at Acts chapter 2, verse number 40. Actually, verse 30, yeah, verse 40. So he says, you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins after repenting of those sins. Verse 40. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Because God couldn't do it for them. He couldn't make them be saved. He had to give them the opportunity and let them choose to be saved. So he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, depending on your translation, if you have one of the older translations like King James, it says, and there were added to them about 3,000 souls. That's because Acts chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, when Peter is standing up and saying, we need to pick a new new apostle, and we need to leave it to God to decide this, he says, this group is empty now. We're missing something. We need something. Because the disciples were united. they, they, They were on mission together, what we talked about last week. And they needed, they needed help. And so in Acts 2, verse 40, there, those people that are baptized are added to the group that were already there. And then from that moment on, the word church is used in the New Testament in the present tense. Up until that point, the word church or ecclesia was only used in the future tense. Jesus, Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to build my church. But after Acts 2, it is always in the present tense. And we always talk about what the church is not. The church is not a country club. The church is not a democracy. The church is not a, uh, an audience to be entertained. The church is not a building. The church is not uh, a civic group or a social justice group or something that, that seeks to only seeks only to rebuild the lives of people that need help. It, it's, it's so much more than that. And we talk about a lot, especially in the church, about what the church isn't. But, Acts 2 doesn't talk about what the church isn't at all. It talks about what it is. So we're going to break down Acts 2 for the rest of our time together, verses 42 through the end of the chapter, and we're going to see what the church is. Now, 
I heard a quote this past week from, from one of my best friends, and he said this, if you treat the church like a denomination, don't be surprised when the people leave to go find a better denomination. Because frankly, we're really bad at it. We're really bad at being a denomination. We're really bad at being a civic group. We're really bad at being a, 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 a country club. We're really bad at being an audience that is just here to be entertained. Because frankly, given the New Testament pattern for worship, most of the time, maybe not all the time, but most of the time, it's not very entertaining. We've been in worship for 37 minutes now. We've sang how many, five songs, four songs, something like that? Three or four minutes each? We still have the majority of time we've been sitting here has been waiting on the next thing to happen, right? You've got to wait for the Lord's Supper to be handed out. You've got to wait for Gary to get back up here. You've got to wait for Lee to get back up here. You've got to wait for everybody to hand in their money. And all that. Okay, anyway, so we're really bad at being a denomination. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 and try to figure out what the church actually is, okay? Because you'll notice that the majority of times in the New Testament that the Bible talks about the church it's not focusing on the negative. It's mostly focusing on the positive, okay? So, number one, we need to go back to the first part of the chapter for just a second. Number one, the church is those who are united. Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The church is, is united. Regardless of physical location, the church is united. Now, that being said, what we're doing right now is church. But when we leave the building, we're still the church. We're just not in church. There's a, there's a distinction there that needs to be made. Because a lot of Christians think that church, the church, is only when there's a bunch of people that are dressed real nice that are in a building and sitting down and listening to someone talk. And that's just simply not the case. You are the church when you leave the building and you're driving down Manchester Expressway and someone cuts you off. And if they know that you're the church when you're in that situation, the way you react is the way that they're going to view the church, okay? Same thing with your neighbors. You know, yesterday I realized we have lived in our house for, I don't know, four years and nine months. I don't know the name of Mark's wife who lives beside me, but I hear her ver voice every day because I think she lives outside. I just, I don't know, I don't understand. I don't think she's ever inside the house. I hear her voice every day. I have no idea what her name is. Now, if she knows that I'm the church, there's a problem there, Right? Now, the church is united. We are, we are united both when we're together and when we're separate. Now, number two, go to the end of the chapter, verse 41. The church is those who have been saved from their sins. So those who received his word were baptized, verse 41, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. If you flip to verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You cannot be a part of the church if you are not saved. That means that a person who comes to a worship service and is, and is, 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 is in our worship service is not a part of the church yet unless they're saved. Children, same thing. 
You have to be saved in order to be added to the church. It's not something you join. It's not something that you... Man, listen, I... Okay, I need, a, I need to be frank with y'all, okay? Um, I, I, I made a statement yesterday that set someone back. Um, and I think it's really relatively true. Um, this is not bragging. I just want to use it as an example, okay? So keep that in mind. Next February, this February, in about four weeks, I'll receive an award for recruitment for a civic organization. Because I recruited more people than anyone has in the last 30 years to this civic organization. And they said, how'd you do it? And I said, well, to be honest, I wish that it was as easy to get people to be baptized for the remission of their sins as it is to get them to join a stinking, ridiculous civic organization that really has no bearing on their eternity whatsoever. I wish it were easy. I wish that all we had to do was get you to write your name down and pay some dues and then show up every now and then if you wanted to. But that's simply not the case. The church is those who have been saved. Now, in just a second, well, let's just move on and I'll, and I'll come back to that here in just a second. Number three, those who are devoted to the truth. Acts 2.42, so 41 says, those who received the word were baptized or added to about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and the prayers. Number three, they are the ones that are devoted to the truth. The word devoted there is the Greek word eimi. Now that, that word may sound familiar, and, and you may not know exactly where it's used, but just give me a second and, and, and you'll, you'll realize something. I think this is one of those sermon points that you don't actually have to say much. You just say it and then everybody realizes what you're saying. Okay, but just let me set it up there. The Greek word emi is a prolonged, personal, singular verb. That's the, that's the, the, the official you know, definition of it. It's a prolonged, personal, singular verb. Another time that the word emi is used in Scripture is John chapter 8 and verse 58, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. They devoted, they became, they amied the apostles' doctrine, prayers, fellowship, breaking of bread, and so forth. It wasn't something that they did. It wasn't something that they focused on. The word de- devoted in English means we focused on it. I've devoted, I am devoted to keeping my New Year's resolution, whatever that New Year's resolution is. I'm devoted to that. We think of that as I'm, I'm on task and I'm thinking about it and I'm constant. The word actually means they became. It became everything that they were for all of eternity. Just like Jesus said, before, before Abraham was, I am, they became the apostles' teaching. They became the fellowship. They became the breaking of bread. They were not just... They were not just focused on the truth. They were the truth. There was no question about what would happen when they came to some problem. They knew that the truth would decide what they were going to do with that problem or not. They, they became the apostles' teaching and fellowship. It became their entire 
being, their entire existence, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. It wasn't something that they said, I'm going to, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to pray every day. They became a people that just prayed. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. Because if you are a Christian, if you're someone who has been saved from your sins, and you're going to be the same type of Christians that they were in the first century, which, by the way, is what we claim to be, right? Anyone asks you what the church of Christ is, and my answer is always, we're simply just trying to do it the same way they did it. We figure that if we are what they are, then we get to go to where they get to go. If that's the case, then my entire life needs to be For all of the rest of eternity, the apostles' doctrine and prayer and fellowship and the breaking of bread with my fellow Christians. Now, flip back to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. When Jesus says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in the midst of you. Jesus This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. I just want to put you back into the situation that's happening with Peter. Okay, There's two different types of inspiration. I guess there might be more, but we're going to talk about two specifically right now. There is mechanical inspiration, and there is verbal plenary inspiration. Okay? Verbal plenary inspiration is when a man is taught by God and he knows the gospel and he is divinely inspired and he has a one-on-one connection with the Holy Spirit and he writes things. That's like the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul sits down and writes the book to a church that he loves that is having some serious problems in there. There's another type of inspiration called mechanical inspiration which is the same kind that, that... God enacted on a donkey one time in the Old Testament because donkeys don't talk. I don't know if you didn't know that or not, but that's not something that they can do. Um, And if you found a donkey that can talk, I need to talk to you afterwards because I have some friends with nice padded room for you to live in. Anyways, so that's mechanical inspiration. What's happening in Acts 2 with the Holy Spirit enacting on these people and working through these people and having them speak in languages that they don't know That's mechanical inspiration. God is putting those words into his mouth. Peter wasn't speaking of his own accord in Acts 2, 22 through 28 when he says, you murdered him, you crucified him. He was God, he was the Messiah, and you are wicked and your wicked hands have put him on a cross. He wasn't choosing to do that. God was making him do it. Why? Because he had become everything that God wanted him to be. Now, you and I don't have mechanical inspiration anymore. God isn't working that way anymore. That ended somewhere around the end of the first century. However, however, that book that you're holding in your hand or the the book that's on your iPad, uh, I I heard a preacher one time say, the best thing, uh, well, he was quoting another preacher, and he said, the best thing that you can ever hear are the pages of God's Word turning in worship. And he said, I preach in 2019 at the time, Uh, I don't hear the pages of God's Word turning. I just see the glow of God's Word on their face from their iPads. Anyways, so what God is saying in Acts 2, Peter didn't have a choice to say that. He made him say it. If you and I are going to be the same type of Christians, 
there are times in which we have to say things that we don't want to say. There are times in which we have to let the, speak, the truth speak even though it's something that we don't want because we're going to be devoted to the truth. We are the truth. We have become the truth. Now, number four. For time's sake, we're going to go on. Number four. The church is those who sacrifice and share their physical belongings. Verse 44 And all who believed together had all things in common. All who believed were together, rather, and had all things in common. They shared their physical blessings. If you fast forward to Acts chapter 4, which goes along with our next point, that they sacrificed for one another, verse 45 of chapter 2 says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You fast forward to Acts chapter 4, And something interesting happens. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 31 with me. When they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Oh, that's chapter 2. Hang on, let me fast forward to chapter 4. I copied and pasted the wrong passage. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that, they, that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as anyone had need. Thus, verse 36, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, verse 36, why, who cares that Joseph, also called Barnabas, sold a, sold a piece of land? We already know that they're doing that. They're selling the things that they have if one of the Christians in their congregation or in their area needs something. We know that they're doing that. Why does the Holy Spirit decide to include verse 36? Because Barnabas, Joseph, I'm going to call him Barnabas because I like that name better. Barnabas was a Levite. Now, given the Old Testament law, Barnabas is not even supposed to have land. No one in his family is supposed to own land. Which means at some point in the last few thousand years at that point, well, the last 2,000, 1,500 years-ish, someone in Barnabas' family had been gifted a piece of land. Now, the only way a person was going to gift a Levite a piece of land at that time was because that person was going above and beyond. Okay? Every person had to give their tithes and their offerings at the temple. That's one of the reasons why in Deuteronomy chapter 16, they're told to go to the temple, go to the place that God had prepared, so that they can give their tithes and offerings. One of the reasons why they had those feasts was to give their tithes and offerings. So you mean to tell me that one of the reasons why God commanded the people of Israel to gather together was to give their money to the work of Israel. Sounds something like the New Testament. Anyways, but we don't talk about that. We just say that's just kind of an add-on at the end. All right, so... Now, at some point, someone went above their tithes and offerings 
and because of their devotion to God, gave a Levite a piece of land. Presumably in Cyprus, because that's where it says he's from. Which means Barnabas doesn't just call a real estate agent in Cyprus, send a text message or an email and say, hey, can you get rid of that land for me? It's not just a liquidation sale. He has to go to Cyprus. He has to see the land that had been in his family for some time at least that probably meant a lot to him sentimentally. And he sold it. He gave everything that he was. He gave the most important thing to him. Because he's not supposed, this isn't, this is something that he's not supposed to have. This is something that is extra. Something that would, at that time period, if you're a Levite and you actually owned land, it would be the most prized possession that you ever had. This is, this is your family land that you're not even supposed to have. And he sells it and gives it to the church. The church is people, at least given the New Testament, the church is people that are willing to sacrifice for one another. Number whatever next we're at. I don't, I've lost count a long time ago. Hopefully you can keep up. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. The church are those who were daily parts of each other's lives. And day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. Day by day, attending the temple, which means that, that that's, they, were, they were evangelizing. They were going to the temple and showing their faith, which we'll talk about here in just a second. And fellowshipping in each other's homes and spending time with one another. And they became, not only did they become, back in verse 42, the, the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship, they, they became the breaking of bread and prayers. They became part of one another's lives. They spent time inside and outside of assembly together. They, they spent time reading the Gospels together when the Gospels would be written and so forth. Because they were exiled from everyone else. I mean, maybe not in Acts chapter 2 because at that point no one's really mad at Christianity. But you fast forward five chapters later, which is probably just a couple years, and now no one wants to be anywhere around a Christian. That's why I often say that the best thing that can ever happen to the church is some persecution to come. Now, last but not least, look at verse 47. We looked at verse 47, the end of verse 47 earlier, but look at verse 47, the beginning of it. I'm going to read verse 46 so we can get the whole sentence. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Last but not least, the church is those who, who show God to their communities. The church is, is those who have been saved and have been devoted and become everything that Christianity is. And when you look at them, you have no choice but to see the church. The good parts of the church, not the bad parts of the church. Listen, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Okay, The church of Jesus Christ is not 100% perfect all the time. Not because of the way God built it. Not because of the way Jesus established it or the, the gospel that leads it or so forth. It's because He did so and He filled it full of us 
And you and I have a tremendous ability to mess things up. We don't get it right all the time. Sometimes we don't like each other all the time. 1 Corinthians. Sometimes we don't love each other enough. End of the book of Hebrews. Sometimes we don't encourage each other enough and build each other up enough. The beginning of the book of Hebrews. We don't get it right all the time. However, just because we don't get it right does not mean that the church isn't perfect. The people in it aren't, but that's the point. When you have a church, when you, when you, when you see the church, rather, the church universal, when you see the church as, as a group of people that, that have been devoted, that have become the gospel, and, and because of that they, they are part of each other's lives, and because of that they, they fellowship and they worship together and so forth and so on, then, then you'll realize that and you won't hold it against the church so much that there's been some problems. I don't know how many times I've heard, well, I don't like Christianity because of blank. Because um, the one I love is, I don't like Christianity because of the Crusades. If you don't know what the Crusades are, go home and Google it. You can pull it up on Wikipedia or something. Crusades are a couple hundred years where people claiming to be the church were murdering people all over the world. I don't like Christianity because of that. Well, yep, because sometimes Christians don't act like Christians. But the point is that we're supposed to be because it's supposed to become everything that we are. If you were to ask a person baptized on the day of Pentecost, which church did you just join? They would look at you and say, what in the world are you... There's only one church. There's different ones now. I promise you, I promise you, if you were to somehow transport a Christian from the first century, two days after the day of Pentecost. Well, let's, let's give it six days so that they've had a Sunday where everybody's not, you know. I don't know if you knew this, but not every Sunday were 3,000 people being saved. Um, give it a week or two so that they've had a few services where there's not 3,000 people being baptized. And you were to fast forward them to 2020 right now. They cry their eyes out because we have a long way to fulfilling to what they were now does that mean that we'll never get there does that mean we just need to give up no that's the point that's the point but if you treat it like a denomination they're going to leave and they're going to go find a better denomination they'll, they'll, they'll find one that that fits their needs more Just try to be what they were in their imperfections and in their inspirations and so forth. At the end of chapter 2 of the book of Acts, there are at least 3,012 Christians. At the end of the book of Acts, there are estimate, estimated Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds, maybe even upwards of a million Christians. Not because they had some newfangled evangelism tactic, not because some guy wrote a book that everybody loves and it's, you know, it's narrative. Listen, all that stuff is great. I love that stuff. Not because they, they did a new initi- initiative in 2020 where they printed up flyers and every member had 20 flyers and they had... A, that, all that stuff is great. They didn't grow because of that. 
they simply grew because they were the gospel. They went to the event, they went to evangelize every day because that's just who they were now. You didn't have to beg them or plead them to go to church. You didn't have to beg them to go door knocking. You didn't have to beg them to, to hand something to their relatives or to their friends or invite their, their family members to church or their neighbors. You didn't have to beg them to do anything. It was just who they were at that point. I wish Christians would get back to that. And I know we can. We've just got to become the gospel like they did in Acts 2.42. If you need to become a Christian, that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to become the gospel. You're going to have to be saved from your sins through baptism and repentance of your sins. And then you become the gospel. And how you treat that gospel is, in, in essence, how you're treating God. And so you need to make that decision. You need to make the decision of whether or not you're going to do it before you do it. Too many times people obey the gospel simply because of some other reason, and then they realize that they really weren't in it in the first place. That's why we have churches upon churches upon churches full of people that they're not devoted. Now, if you want to do that, we're going to stand. Gary's going to lead us in the song of encouragement, and you can let us know that. If you're a Christian and you need the prayers or encouragement, or you need to repent of something publicly, you can come forward and let us know that as well as we stand and sing.